Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From the liberal Northeast comes a lone voice of truth. Honest commentary in dishonest times. Think deeper with Juan Newsom. This is the Cure Radio Program. This is the Cure. Hello, hello. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Kat Hernandez, and joining me is Mr. Juan Newsom. Say hi, Juan. Hey, hey, Kat. Are you, Are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking at? Did you see the debates? Oh my! The highlight of the the fly, totally the fly. <laughs> as soon as it landed on his head, I was like, no. <laughs> Swat the fly. Swat the fly. I don't think he <laughs> I don't think he could even feel it to be He honest. couldn't feel it. And you know what's so funny? Like Pence is so chill. Like the fly didn't even move. It was like, oh yeah, this is like a cozy little spot on his head. I was like, mm-hmm. move, fly, move. How did it get there with that barrier? How did it get there? <laughs> I know, I know. It must have flew from above. <laughs> It had to fly like from above somewhere. It was the fly from the Lord. You know what was funny about that specific two minutes was while Kamala was talking, all I could think about was him swatting the fly that that whole two minute segment went on and on. I don't have a clue what she was talking about. I could, I didn't hear anything that she was saying. All I was talking about was the fly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, which man. goes to show how important her thoughts were that night well people thought she won the debate well, lib- liberals anyway oh please there's no freaking way the woman was giggling through her lies that giggle is like how you compensate for being extremely and unprepared with what the other person say says um hillary that's her mo too when she doesn't know what to say and she can't justify what the other person like facts that the other person is throwing at her she'll smile all weird and giggle is yeah. is like her these way of saying like oh snap they just put me in a corner and i got nothing to come back like you can see the wheels are turning in her head like what's my comeback it's also what do i say (laughs) it's also an optics play too because well yeah that body language you know so it's an optics play they could use that for for real footage on the uh on the mainstream media playbacks and stuff like that so democrats have kind of mastered that optics thing she mastered anything i think that she was caught in a situation where she because she of something quick enough like this was obviously something she didn't prepare for him to say yeah yeah so all she could do was kind of giggle and oh my, my gosh that's not even true <laughs> oh 
not even real. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? You are in a debate with a serious man and he is putting facts at you. He wants you to respond and your response. And, and the funny thing is the after the segment afterwards um, on Fox, Donna Brazil was on. Oh, yeah. And they were talking about her making her demeanor and the, you know, weird giggling, the side eye and Donna Brazil like, oh. She's not you. She's not married to you. Like she's not your wife to Carl Rove. And it, mm -hmm. and and she took issue with the fact that they were pointing out the faces she was making during the debate. And she's like, that's just how we express ourselves. And what I was like, uh, no, actually, it isn't. You can't have it both ways. You can't be a serious contender for vice president and also potentially given the nominee biden the next president of the united states should he not be live long enough to fulfill his four years you can't say you want to be a serious contender and then also want people to be okay with you giggling like a clown because you have no retort to your opponent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that doesn't win yeah yeah brazil was also like it, i was flipping back and forth between fox and cnn and between both Donna Brazil and Van Jones, I don't know who's more delusional, but they both basically said that, you know, in terms of her solidifying herself as a VP candidate, um, that she passed the bar, like she crossed that threshold. And I'm thinking, like, how did she do that when she didn't answer any doggone questions? Well, yeah. I mean, was the bar set by Biden? Because then it's not that high a bar that she needs to reach. Like the That's next true. VP for the Republican Party, if you're coming after Pence, like he set that bar extremely high. Yeah. I can see Pence 1000 percent being a 2024 presidential candidate. I vote for more. in an instant, in an instant. The fact is that Harris was unable to outshine any of her Democratic opponents. Mm -hmm. So she was completely out of her league when it came to Pence. And it showed 100%. It showed. She also, he also nailed her on her, um, her criminal justice re record, specifically when she was um, AG in California. Um, he also nailed them on the COVID response. I thought he, I thought, look, you know, for the COVID, his COVID questions, you know, it's, it's going to be somewhat tainted because of the coverage that they've gotten over COVID. I thought right. he gave the best response that he could, but he also pointed out that Joe Biden plagiarized their, their response efforts in his campaign promises. So and I found that pretty interesting. It's like, well, that's just Joe. Like, that's just what Joe does, plagiarize again and again. They are building this narrative or trying to build this narrative that Trump and his administration had no reason, have no plan for the future of the country. When, in fact, they came up with a response that no other president 
Mm-hmm. would have even been able to think of doing. The fact that he used his contacts in the private sector, he mobilized manufacturing, he mobilized different companies within the United States for our own response. And then mm-hmm. he combined that with pharmaceutical companies. He got the FDA to loosen up some of the restrictions to allow these pharmaceutical companies to go forward with the testing, to go forward with all of the vaccines and all things that would have taken first of all democrats would have never thought of this they would have never even imagined the response and then she um tries to use that against him the fact that he he was able to mobilize the military our own national guard um in order to get equipment like logistically get the pp and stuff dispensed throughout the entire country, something that the governors themselves could not do, even though that is part of their responsibility. Every single state has a plan for such pandemics, for illnesses, and how they need in their own state. These governors, mostly Democratic governors, were incapable of doing so. And because they couldn't do it, they blamed Daddy Trump, you know, and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, do, did we forget the naval ships that were off the coast of California and New York in order yeah. to help respond to the issues? And he what built happened? Hospitals. Yeah. Absolutely. And who did that? That was our military personnel. We did yeah. that. Yeah. So, yep. for, and then this is a point used against Trump where. No other president would have been able, would have even thought to mobilize our own military this way. But because he has such a thousand foot view of what's happening in the country and how to get things moving, he brought people into his team that had such specific skills and then relied them to come mm-hmm. up with a proper plan on how to address this in the most immediate and efficient way possible. And they hate that he was able to do it. They hate it. Yeah, it would have taken the average president like a term to do what he did in those few months. And you notice how with Trump, he's surrounded by true, successful free mm-hmm. marketeers. You know, mm-hmm. look at look at Mnuchin and Cutlow. Um, you know, he's surrounded by people that are competent. Ben Carson. Yes. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, that's why his administration has been very much effective. Um, if you're not doing your job, you're fired, just like in the private sector. He makes no bones about that. Look at Scaramucci. (laughs) He is such a sad anti-Trumper. I mean, like, go get a life, dude. You got yourself fired in, in, (laughs) it's like, come on guy, like go away. Well, yeah, but so they, they, I mean, they've been very much effective and, you know, I think to this, to this testament, you had to have a guy like a Trump who understood logistics, who understood the private sector to get something like this done. Um, the average politician, it would have taken them forever. Uh, and, and he don't have the, the, the background, the skills, the depth of knowledge on how industries work. If mm-hmm. you look at, they, they want to <laughs> agriculture. Oh, um, California is on fire and whatever. All of these issues had to arise, but he addressed that. One thing that mm-hmm. I, um, 
Pence would have shot back at her and and given the debate style, he wasn't able to do so. But one thing I wish he would have said to her was like, yeah, the farmers, we prepared when we knew that they were going to be hit financially by, you know, um, the tariffs on China. Mm -hmm. And now we're in a much stronger position and our our produce didn't go down. Our production went up. And because he did that, he was able to mobilize food banks and mobilize like all of these uh, different groups to feed people during the shutdown. Mm-hmm, Could you mm-hmm. imagine having to rely on China for food or Mexico for food? It would have been a pandemic on on top of, you know, the biggest. Dep- How do you have 50 million people out of work and now still under lockdown in a lot of places and we're going down to single digit unemployment numbers? Yeah, yeah. Currently right now, the unemployment rate is at 7.9%. Right at the same point in 2000 and uh, at the right around the same point in 2012, where Barack Obama was seeking reelection um, at the time, the, the unemployment rate was roughly the same. So it, on the outside in, it, it looks pretty good for Trump in terms of the economy. When you look at some of the polling, especially Gallup, which I kind of trust um, more than most of the Gallup. And I like Rasmussen, too. Um, when it comes to the economic trust, Trump is winning. You know, when it comes to the issues, handling the economy, you know, foreign relations, Trump is winning with Biden. So, you know, this polling, some of this polling has to be really off or either they're oversampling Democrats and they're loading biases into some of these questions. Yes, absolutely. I don't know why the polls are not um, favoring Trump a little bit more or even having them equal. Maybe I could trust it. But at this point, they weren't correct the first time around with this president. And I highly doubt that they're correct this time around. And they're just creating a situation where um, people who listen and really trust what they're saying, they're just going to be extremely disappointed and the only rationale they're going to be able to come up with is that he cheated and he stole the election because the media is not being honest yeah and that's just a fact you know yeah i'll give you an example cat when you look at pennsylvania now supposedly trump is behind 10 points in pennsylvania but when you look at the numbers when you look at the vote voting registration is up on the republican side Trump, there's been roughly 110,000 more Republican voters since 2015. There's been 42,000 less Democratic voters since 2015. So something's going on with these polls. If Republican votership is up in Pennsylvania, this is just one state now. I can name several. Well, I can actually give uh, one reason why. If you're doing polling, right, doing Mm -hmm. polling on likely voters, people who voted before. Now, if you have numbers up where they haven't been before, you're not polling those people because they've not voted before. Yeah. So you can't determine that they would likely vote. 
So you have a whole group of folks who maybe even some of them are as Democrats, maybe they never voted before or whatever, and you're not polling them. So how could you trust the accuracy of any of this? You don't even know who the polling group really is. Mm, that's true. I know back in, there was this big thing back in 2016 where some of the NBC pollers were like former Clinton staffers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this this is what they do. They create the narrative for you. So if they tell you the lie long enough, it's obviously true. They just Mm -hmm. keep saying it. And when they're all doing the same exact thing, it's like all of them are saying it. All of them are saying it. Everyone else saying it. It has to be true. Look, they, they put up a spreadsheet here. I had girl put up a fact check, right? Telling mm-hmm. me that Trump has had, has currently has 26 accusations from women of sexual assault. Okay. Mm-hmm. From 2016. I was like, well, can you show any kind of evidence? Like just one piece of evidence? Like we've gone through four years of disparaging this man and nobody has been able to come up with anything valid. Mm-hmm. And she posts a link to um, the courts in New York. And it is against Epstein. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, did you even bother to read the link, the information in the link that you sent me? Somebody take her, (laughs) somebody take her voter registration card away, please. Please, please. (laughs) You fact check me with false information. Like it's not even against Trump. It was against Epstein. Like, what are you, what are you even talking about? But this is who you're fighting with. You ask them to give you evidence. Another, another big, big talking point. The parties flipped. You ask them to give you evidence and they say, well, this is just known. Obviously, if you learned history, you would know this. And they're very confident in the learned history. I'm like, all right, well, where can I Google that link? Where can I find that video? Where can I yeah. find your resource? It never well, happened. I shouldn't, no, I shouldn't have to do your homework. It never like, happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's never absurd. Happened. It's absurd. It that never happened in a way. No. It's just crazy. The thing is, the, the Democrats were... well, the Democrats changed their strategy. That's really what happened. Right. It's no longer global warming, it's climate change. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So we're not getting hotter. The climate's just always changing. Like, oh, okay. The new strategy. <laughs> it's no longer segregation. It's integration oh. with social with <laughs> socialism. <laughs> oh my oh my word hey guys if you are just tuning in this is Juan and Kathy talk radio we are discussing all of the crazy stuff that has been going on this 2020 given these VP debates and Trump with COVID and just the overall climate of where we are in race relations in politics in today Mm -hmm. tons and tons of fun (laughs) so going back to the debate for just one second cat i thought pence performed better than trump did uh, in the debates definitely 
Well, yeah. I mean, you can see that Pence is a professional. You can see that he knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He's not working off the cuff, and he's very measured and precise. You know, mm-hmm. where like the hatchet man. <laughs> and he comes in wild and just chopping heads off everywhere. Yep. yep Pence yep. is definitely the surgeon. He's very strategic. He's making the appropriate cuts in the appropriate places. He's not butchering her, but he did slice her up to a Death point of a thousand cuts. She was kind of like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he made her look incompetent in what she was saying. Yeah. That's um yesterday Trump was on Rush Limbaugh and um did you see what he said about Iran? <laughs> no, I didn't get to see it. I was working. He, he dropped the F bomb. He dropped no. the F bomb on <laughs> Yeah. No. Oh man. They were talking about Iran and how Iran was threatening us and he said, you know what, they better not F with us. He said it, you know, or I, we're gonna do something far worse than that what they think that we're gonna do. It's just he he dropped the f bomb live on Rush. <laughs> just like I was like, man, Pence had they need a Pence to balance this guy. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, you know what it is. So I I had posted page a thing from Russell Brand, I think is his name, the the British. Yeah. And I I don't really too much, but he actually took the time to analyze Trump's approach. And really talk about why it's so effective. Because a lot of the media will just be like, his supporters are just racist and he's speaking to their racism in them. You know, they dismiss it as, oh, we're all a bunch of buffoons. We all are incapable of understanding the complexities of what's happening in the world. Like we have no merit. We're just following along like puppets and fools. No, no. We know what's happening. We knew what was happening during Bill Clinton. We knew what was happening during Bush. We knew what was happening during the entire Obama debacle. We knew what was happening every step of the way. We just got tired of seeing the same old approach with no solutions, no changes. It didn't matter who you put into office. But now we see this person come in, totally different approach, with a totally different mindset, like the innovation that Trump has come up with on how to solve our issues is so transformative for Mm -hmm. the next generation coming up. Whereas the solutions that everybody else had are the same old, same old, same old that didn't work before. So, and, and he is strong enough in his own personal character and, and believes in his gut and his enough that when the supposed experts of all these issues come at him with something and it doesn't sound quite right, of course, he's going to push back at them. And this is what we want. Do we know that his personality and his talk is extreme? Absolutely. Do we believe Mm -hmm. what he's saying is fact and truth and exactly verbatim how it comes out of his mouth. No, I mean, from New York, I know the swagger. I know mm-hmm. the rhetoric. I He's know. Queens. Yeah, I know why he's talking, how he's talking and to who he's trying to get. Mm-hmm. He's not dumb. Everybody wants to put him off as dumb. And finally, 
this guy sat down and took piece by piece and was able to articulate exactly what his move is. And that is the sign of someone who is more genius than dumb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's able to use all methods that they use against us for his own. Yeah, that's true. I had, um, you're not the only one that said this. A couple of months ago on The Cure, this was during the primaries, I had um, Dwayne Stovall. He was a Senate candidate, and um, I had him as a guest. And he, 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 um, he's a Texan. He's a true Texan, like a sixth-generation Texan. And he knew, he said early on he knew Trump would win. He said he knew Trump would win, and he said just by the way that he stood down the entire Republican um, feel, he's like, Trump's a street guy. You know, he's not just an ordinary, yeah. he's not just, you know, he's not just a billionaire, you know, he's very educated, but um, he's very much a street guy. Another thing about Trump is he's kept promises. You know, that's something that no hardly any politician does, keep promises. And then when you look at, talk about some of the out-of-box things that he's done, um, when you look at the Jerusalem move, I know we talked about that in the past, when you look at the Space Force, um, and when you look at his Middle East peace plan that he's been nominated by three different individuals for Nobel Peace Prizes for, you know, stuff like that, thinking out of the box, his Middle East peace plan, I actually, I actually read the white paper cat and it's, it's pretty ingenious. Um, they skillfully weaved, mm -hmm. um, they skillfully weave like economic policy into that as well. So there are some economic incentives for that and that's a another reason why the deals are being signed the mid-east peace deals are being being signed because he's carefully woven foreign policy and economic policy now in the past whether it's democrat or republican um they would kind of keep those things separate you yeah know, trump trump he put them together and i think it it was really just him and kushner and you know mike pompeo I mean, they yes. were just ingenious the way they just worked things out. So this president They're, thinks out of the box. Exactly. And their focus was on a solution. Their yep. focus was not how do we stop? Like the way I see him as a force is for moving things forward. Where the way I see a lot of other presidents and quite frankly, a lot of other people in their own like day-to-day -day behavior they're always fighting against something. It's the war on this and that. No, we need to be pro-American. We need to move things forward. We need to negotiate for action, for, for actual results, where they negotiate to pacify people. Here, let me drop $100 million in cash so you can stop bothering us, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. their approach even in domestic um, policies. Yeah. Yeah, let's sure. let's give this group let's 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 give education educational institutions more money. The mm -hmm. teachers unions don't want to work. Let's just up the ante and give them more more money. Yeah, have a clue about actually being educators and yeah. actually educating our kids. Yeah. So yeah, with idiotic, uh, scholarly ways of thinking and and impose common core which there's nothing common about that core of school mm -hmm. you give more money to unions that empowers them kids don't needle forward one bit 
in their education and their overall knowledge about how the world works. So you get the same nothingness. And then, and then in order to fix that debacle, you just move them along because they're getting too old to be in the grade they're in. So now you got a bunch of graduates that don't even have sixth grade level reading or math comprehension. And yeah, you want the them to succeed skills. in college? You yeah. want them to succeed in life? No, you give they're them all free college. <laughs> exactly. They're all protesting because they don't have a clue on how the works and they don't have a clue on what they could uh, give to their city, their families, you know, their own purpose in life. You totally disenfranchise this entire generation of kids mm -hmm. and warp mm -hmm. their minds to thinking everyone who wants capitalism is a racist and some somehow it's all white upper mobility. That's the problem. Yeah. It's yeah. sad. Yeah. It's really it, sad. It, it really is sad. And people want to rip, you know, Betsy DeVos, the secretary of education, because, you know, she's all for school choice and she's all for the reforms that, People on both sides that, you know, practically been begging for um, for years, for decades, really. Um, you know, when you look at our education system, you know, you, 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 you dove into education now. The problem is, you know, the unions, every time, you know, every time they strike, they get what they want. You know, I remember when, well, I don't remember when, I remember reading about <laughs> You're about to age yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember um, reading about Ronald Reagan and the air traffic controllers. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell them to go to hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we need to do some of the same thing to these teachers unions. Well, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Why do we have a teachers union? To protect bad teachers. But what <laughs> what's the purpose of having a union for teachers? I guess Isn't, for aren't schools public, like, why do you need a union for teachers? I guess to protect them for, you know, for wage increases and, you know, their benefits. But what's so the difference far. between any other actor? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, a like, lot of why is education unionized? Why, yeah. I mean, why are educators unionized? It's not like that in a lot of other countries. That's for sure. It just doesn't make any sense. People talk about, you know, why um, the United States, as far as the global competitive index, has slid down the scale. Education, I think the teachers union is the main component of that. Um, but in a lot of other countries where they educate, like for China, example, China, and I, and I hate to bring them in as an example because they're a communist country. There's no union. You know, there's no union there. It's all private. They get huge bonuses for their kids' performance. Right. Like, it's an incentive be the incentive? Yeah. Yeah. Spain. Same thing in Spain. Places like Spain. Like, there's no unions in, in, in most of the countries with the top schools. You know, it's, well, it's, I a, heard, it's incentives. Um... I heard Trump actually address that, and I didn't, I, I didn't realize in the conversation why it was brought up, but he was speaking and talking about how um, within the 
educational system, like our kids are being taught all this warped, you know, social justice and mm-hmm. all this other stuff where, and then he need to get back to basics for them to learn. And I didn't, I didn't know what the reference was that he was coming off of from yeah. that. I don't know if you heard it. Yeah. Well, I know that they were talking about first, I, I saw this, I saw the press conference you were talking about or, or the town hall. First, they were talking about um, the diversity programs mm-hmm. that were taking place inside of the government. And a lot of those diversity programs were implemented by Obama and is based on the critical race theory, which is like, you know, cultural Marxist theory is basically anti-white and anti-majority. If I had to if I had to sum it up in in words. And so they teach all of these um, divisive tenets. Uh, within the federal government. And Trump put a stop to that immediately once he found out. Um, In terms of education, you know, along with Common Core, um, you know, they started rolling out, you know, some things based on the theory. And, you know, now they're also looking to implement the 1619 project into a lot of public schools too, which is double dangerous. I don't understand. If you talk to any parent with a child, not not a, a, a college age kid, because a lot of parents out there, when you mention anything about school, they mm-hmm. go straight to the 20 year old that's about to graduate from college. It's like, we're not talking to you. When you grade school level, junior high mm-hmm. school level, when you talk to those parents, they, they ha- are waiting lists just to get their kids to test in or be put picked of a lottery just so that they could avoid going to the public school that they're zoned and you get zoned. You can't even yep. pick a school. You got to go to where is closest to your home. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that movie waiting for Superman? Well, that was us because when, when I, uh, we lived in Newark, we had a little condo downtown Newark, New Jersey, right by the Prudential Center. Um, my my um, 13-year-old, she was then, at the time she was four, we had to do a couple of lotteries, and she actually got into a good charter school. I did mm-hmm. not want her to go to the public schools there. And so we actually got into this school downtown called Gray's Charter. And um, I was praying for her to get into a, a and yeah. if she would have once she got in, my son would have been like guaranteed placement there. Right. So that's how that kind of works. Yes. So when I know. was in when I was uh, grade school, I tested in this in the public school the gifted talented program. Mm-hmm. So K through you could test into the the gift program, which I did, and then going into junior high school, there was a group of parents, white parents who got together and and created a school within a public junior high school. So there was like three junior high schools in one building. Oh, and wow. this group of parents, white, upper, upper West Side, very liberal, most of them, parents created a school, had the best um, instructors, Juilliard level, instructors 
professional acting coach for drama teachers, um, the principal, top notch educator, all of the people that were were from these, you know, different diverse groups and high level educators or artists. And we had to test in to the school. And the same way you just said that if your daughter got in, your son would get in. So my cousins got in, got in, then my younger brother got in. So we were all able to go to the school. Out of 200 kids, there were 20 minorities. Wow. 20. Everyone else was all white. They had 20. And everybody tested in. All of the kids tested in. Mm-hmm. So luckily, we were able to take advantage of that. It wasn't known as a charter school, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. exactly what it was. We even had a New York City public bus routed to our school specifically just to pick up the kids from our school and take us across town. Oh, that's amazing. That's what these parents were able to do. So if they saw the effects of doing that, then what in the world is stopping them from doing that? Um, they just like control of the educated. It's, it's, it's more than just the unions. So there's three things. It's the unions. That's one. Two, liberals in general, they just like having control of the schools. Mm-hmm. So they have the unions in place. You know, they're typically mostly, most of them work in education. So they're in charge of things like the curriculum, you know, what the kids learn. Um, and then also, you know, you look at the te- teachers union, it's political because the teachers union, they raise tons of money for the Democratic Party. So I, that's three reasons right there to keep them in, to keep the teachers union in play and to give them more and more power as time, as time goes, whether it's the NEA or whether it's, you know, your local teachers union. Yeah. I mean, the, as a parent, that thing that COVID has definitely showed is the uselessness of all of the politics and the unions in education. Mm. I can sit at home with my daughters and teach them basics, life skills, and have them be much farther ahead in a five, six month period of time than an entire school year with an educator, with a curriculum, with the, you know, experience and teaching. Right there mm-hmm. is a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely is a problem. And, uh, you know, just to mirror, just to mirror that, you know, we have, I mean, we look at our federal workers, you know, they have a union, they have unions there as well. Um, private sector unions, I don't really have a problem with the private sector unions because they're not, it's not really affecting my tax, do- tax dollars. You know, they may affect my, like Verizon, for example, I have Fios. Now, I know Verizon has a huge union with the with the workers there. Okay, it's going to affect my cable bill, but I, I could choose another cable provider. Right, you have a different option. 
I have other options, but you know, when it comes to things like the schools, I don't, you know, I have, I do, but I don't, I have limited options. Let's just say that. All right, guys, if you are just joining us, this is Juan and Kathy Talk Podcast. Want to keep in touch? Be sure to like and follow at Juan and Kathy Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Post a comment, ask some questions, and we'll read it right on air. So we're talking about a whole bunch of mangles going on this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the presidential debates, COVID education but actually what i want to talk to you about juan Mm -hmm. i want to know what you think since race is playing such a big role and it's not even anymore people who are middle of the road it's like you're either extreme liberal or you're super conservative like these are our options right now um do you think as the media keeps on telling us that the only option for liberal minorities, blacks and Spanish is the Democrat party. I don't know. Because see it so crazy on Facebook where if you as a minority say anything that may even to appreciating anything about Trump, the backlash from other people is just so vicious and mostly from black and people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Kat. When it comes to minorities and the Democratic Party, you know, whether it's on Facebook or not, social media or not, there's just an unhealthy tie there. It's an emotional tie. So it's not really... They're in a different space than black conservatives, right? Because black conservatives and Latino conservatives or libertarians, we see it. We see what's wrong, right? We see what's wrong on both sides, really. And we're able to, like, logically gather our facts and, you know, assess and continue to reassess our thoughts and our positions and how we feel about some of these issues. But with... With And I, I would say mostly blacks because, you know, a lot of Hispanics and Latinos vote Republican consistently, roughly 30 percent of them, which is great, which is outstanding, if you ask me. Um, but particularly, I would say with blacks, it's an emotional stronghold. You know, a lot of the issues, they're not really thinking logically about the issues. It's it's pure emotion. And all it takes is some of that emotion will die down over time, but all it takes is a police shooting to kind of reignite that emotion, for example. Right? I remember when Michael Brown got shot by that police officer. After he clearly violated the law, robbed the store, tried to attack the officer, get on top of him and take his gun, and he got shot. People, The answer, you know, Democratic politicians were going to... Um, going to the town. Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson was going to the town. They had a voter registration tent outside the mural. Like, it's all emotion. Democrats continually, continually whip their support base up into a frenzy to keep them into that emotional space. 
to so keep I have them. A, another question. Mm -hmm. So they're not basing their, I agree, like they're hyper emotional. Mm -hmm. But when you give them facts and other people, not white people speaking to them, but other minorities speaking to them. Yeah. It also does, they don't pause for a second to even consider anything that he's saying or, or don't believe me, do your own research, mm -hmm. do your own research mm -hmm. and find the different points of views and then see them and say, no, I still believe what I believe. They yeah. immediately go on the attack. So how yeah. do you get information to these people or are they just a lost cause at this point? It takes a lot, man. It takes, for me, I was, I was kind of against being a Democrat from the jump when I was about, I would say 20, I would say in my early twenties, uh, when I was 18, my first vote was for a Republican Senator John Warner when I lived in Virginia. Because I just thought it was crazy. I was going to the, it was a voting was a big thing in my family. I was going to the poll. We all go, we, 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 we used to go and vote together. We would all go and vote together. That's just how we did it. Me, my sister, mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. mom, all of us would, it'd be like a motorcade of us going to the, <laughs> going to, going to the voting booth. And I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, who are y'all voting for? Because I didn't know who I was voting for when I went to the polls. But then my my friend at the, uh, my best friend at the time, his father, he he was a black guy. He, I know he was a Republican. He was a Republican, and he started pointing out issues to me, not telling me he didn't tell me who to vote for, but we started talking about issues, and I saw my mom and the rest of my family, they were on the wrong side of those issues. So I voted Republican for that election. When I, That was my first vote. I'll never forget. And um, I went to the poll and I'm like, man, I'm not voting for no Democrats based on the issues. If I'm going to do make it an issues vote, I'm like, you guys are crazy. You're going to just throw your support away. So going back to your question, it's hard because it's so ingrained at mm -hmm. that time. It wasn't ingrained in me. I had already been critical of like being a liberal and being a Democrat, even as a kid. So it wasn't ingrained in me, but for a lot of black Democrats, it's so ingrained. And there's so many things that reinforce the culture, you know, TV, music, you know, look at Hollywood now, TV, music, you know, the education system, the publications that you read, um, all of these things that are reinforcing that bias against, you know, anything conservative or Republican. So even in the church, the church, to me, a lot of churches, I wouldn't say all churches, but I would say a lot of churches, they have given themselves over to cultural Marxism. Mm -hmm. So they're getting the same message in the church, too. Um, and, you know, a lot of blacks go to church. <laughs> so uh, I would say it's just so ingrained. It really takes a person would have to like, it takes a person that constantly 
reevaluates what they believe. Yes. Yes. And yes. a lot of black a lot of black Democrats don't do that. They don't reevaluate what they believe. And so therefore they can never be wrong. Yes. Yeah. And they're so adamant about it that they're never gonna change their mind. Yeah. <laughs> they never did it. Because then they'd have to admit that all along they were wrong. And yeah. that's not something that they're willing to do because they were right the whole time. So you're gonna yeah. continue being wrong to prove that you are always right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, crazy. it's, it's interesting. It's interesting it's because they fight in a way and they speak in a way that says that they want change. We want these things to change. We want these things yeah. to change. We got to, you know, this stuff. And, and the way to change it is to get, but they fail to acknowledge all the money that has gone into the communities ever change and they never change because they keep on electing the same people with the same mindset and the same approach so you mm. keep getting the same output and they will fight for that same output i i have had people on who know me for years and can see my points of view have definitely changed and along with mm -hmm. that my life changed yeah and I could show them the, but they still will fight for what they have. Mm -hmm. Like you are currently living in the projects. I grew up in the projects. I know exactly what that is. The projects. I'm telling you, I'm showing you through my own behavior, mm -hmm. how to get out of that situation, mm -hmm. but they will fight for it. Fight to stay there. Fight yeah. to stay who they are. Yeah. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. It makes it's, no sense. It's funny because like we know I know people that that same way, that whole project thinking and whatnot, and the mentality is I'd rather hold on to this cheap rent than to go out there and sacrifice and try to do better and maybe struggle for a little while, get across the horizon to something that's even greater. And exactly. So, it's that type of exactly. stuck, yeah. <laughs> well, not only that, the other thing I equate it to like a soccer goal, right? Mm -hmm. You have this big giant net and you could ball into the net and you could kick it anywhere in the net. It's still a goal. Mm -hmm. But it seems like liberal and minority mostly only want to hit a goal in one specific spot and they keep hitting for that impossible that one spot and they feel like only if they get the soccer goal do they win with being the entire opportunity that they have to make gains and to win mm -hmm. and it's like look at the bigger picture. no you're a racist <laughs> oh okay <laughs> what mm -hmm. i can't tell you how many times i've been called a racist and a self-hater I'm yeah. like, really? Have you seen my pictures? Have you seen my work? <laughs> like, I'm not really the type of person to hate myself. Like, I be loving me some me. <laughs> I don't that's, know. The that's the thing with minorities, too. It's like, you know, you have a different opinion and all of a sudden, because it's not, I this is what I tell people that disagree with me that I've known that, that, that I grew up with. I'm like, look, I just have an unpopular opinion. I don't say that it's wrong. I say it's unpopular because that's exactly what it is. What it is, you know, 
it's easier to follow the crowd than to have that unpopular yes. opinion. Yes. And they don't see that though. Yeah. They don't recognize like, you know what? It would be a lot easier for all of us minorities to just toe the line. It's so much simpler that way. It really everybody will like you. You'll you won't cause any waves. You're lockstep the rest of the group. We could all be pathetic, la la la. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. But it doesn't work like that. <laughs> and the issues are bigger than that. And and right. here, here's the thing. If this country goes socialist, it's minorities that are going to suffer the worst. And because, always do. And always do. Because, you know, you talk about lack of... Lack, look, we live in a capitalist country, right? One of the most freest countries in the world. And they're still talking about, you know, lack of resources, lack of opportunity and all of that. What do you think is going to take place in a socialist country where, you know, the government doesn't just give a damn? You know, it's all about equal distribution. It's all about equal misery. You think you're going to get a leg up in a mm -hmm. socialist country where you can't openly and freely move and transact privately and raise capital and stuff like like, are you kidding me? So it's exactly. too much, it's too much at stake for them to think the way that they do, but for some reason they do. They're not worried about freedom. You need freedom in order to be equal. You need freedom, right? Now, there now in a free country, there's no such thing as equality. I'm no fool. I'm not naive. But to make yourself equal to the point to where you want to achieve your goals, your ambitions. To really pursue, to really pursue happiness, as it says in our founding documents, right? You need that freedom. You need capitalism. You exactly. need the freedom to move around. You need your Second Amendment. You need your free speech. You need your right to privacy, right? So, but you throw when you you implement a socialist system, you throw all of that away, and so no one cares about the minority in the socialist system. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think you summed up our crazy and <laughs> what we really need is the freedom, not the output of equality, because that yeah. doesn't exist. It doesn't exist when you're born. You're not equal to your sisters, your brothers and people in your own family. And when yeah. you die, you don't die equally to anybody else. That yeah. is the journey of life. It's not for equality. It's for you to find your purpose, build your family if that's what you want to do, find the thing that is going to make you happy and to continue being able to pursue that. And the only place where you actually have the freedom to pursue even your own ignorance, if that's what you want, is the States. There's mm -hmm. no other country but here. And to change the way we have our system set up to look like other countries, it would be to your own detriment, white, black, blue, brown, wherever you come from, you just will be on the losing end because mm -hmm. then you have controllers and the population that gets controlled mm -hmm. as opposed to the way we have it now. So thank you all for joining us. Be sure to keep in touch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Juan and Kathy Talk Podcast. Thank you so much. Post some comments. Let us know what you think. 
next time. Say bye, Juan. Goodbye. Ciao. This is The Cure.